Hi everyone, I'm Madeline Park, stylist and vintage fashion hound. I believe everything has a story, whether it be clothes or the people that wear them. As winter descends upon us, season five of Style Stories aims to echo nature's cycle to stop, adapt and recover by highlighting stories of rebuilding, re-strengthening and reinvention after a period of struggle or turmoil. In a time of coldness, season five aims to warm your ears and hearts and help shed some light onto your style and your story. Today, I'm chatting with Sibel Malinowski, celebrated photographer and filmmaker. Sibel is notorious not only for her standout shots in the fashion and music space, but for her ability to use her work to incite positive and impactful change, including Agenda, a platform promoting female photographers. Sibel does not take anything at face value and whatever space she's working in, she asks you to dig deeper, find the light and the dark, see the whole story. And while she has a penchant for sharp shapes and clean lines in both her clothing and her work, it's this desire to find beauty and truth that underpins all that she does, including her style. I've honoured the story behind Sibel's streamlined style by dressing her in her grandfather's Yves Saint Laurent blazer, a tuxedo shirt from Baz and some bracelets from my collection. I hope you can sit back, relax and enjoy listening to Sibel's story. Hi, Sibel. Hi. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining me today. Pleasure. I always like to start my interviews, if I can, kind of giving the audience um, a bit of an understanding of how we met. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know, like, we've only met a few weeks ago when you were yeah. shooting here in Pocket Studios. Um, and I feel like we connected straight away and we're desperately trying to find, like, who we knew that was in common or like (laughs) what it was that was like connecting us but delving into like the research of your story before this interview I feel like we we're just the type of people that probably try to glean the meaning out of what we do and like the the creative work that we're doing and maybe maybe it's just that sense of connection that's drawn us together kindred spirits (laughs) (laughs) we'll see (laughs) yeah no it's true I think that you and I have kind of had quite like parallel lives really and and that's exactly right. I, I don't think we did work out any connecting factors whatsoever. <laughs> I, th- I think we worked out one lovely makeup artist, Felicia Young, true. that we um, that we've both met. But that's uh, true. yeah, no, uh, but I think that's right. I think you and I both just have. Um, we're we're trying to find the the light and the good in what we do, you know, and that's that's really special and rare, I think. Yeah. yeah. So so finding the good in you, I want to get into your story, um, and we're going to start off today by talking about the um, jacket that you're wearing, yes. which is a beautiful vintage Yves Saint Laurent, but was oui, your oui. grandfather's. <laughs> is that correct? Yes, Papa Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. There's a story mm-hmm. behind the jacket. Can we yes, start off by... there's a long, rich and dark story just like this jacket. Um, 
My grandfather, I called him Papa Doctor, but others would call him Dr. Malinovsky. Yeah. He, um, yeah, he had an in- incredible life. And it's funny, I have been attracted to his clothes more than my grandmother's clothes. <laughs> I think firstly, he had great style and yeah. he, he always loved the designer labels. Um, <laughs> whereas my grandmother made all of her clothes, so they're kind of falling apart. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was... Uh, he, his story is quite elusive. Um, he was born in the First World War in Poland and um, we, d- we actually found out more about him after he'd passed away um, than when he was alive. I think a lot of people of that generation went through so much they kind of kept it, kept it to themselves. Mm. Um, but I guess that's why I like to wear his clothes because it reminds me of who I am and, and you know, where I've come from and, and all of the adversities that he went through to enable the the beautiful life that I do have and that mm. I'm able to bestow to my children. Um, but, yeah, so very, very nutshell vibes of Papa Doctor. Um, he was a Polish man born into a relatively wealthy family and um, and then he, he'd studied, I think, three doctorates before the Second World War came along and he was studying in Bologna in um, Italy. His third doctorate, I think it was in... Um, Oh, I can't remember what the specialty was. That this next one, I think it was heart. By this point, anyway, he uh, he heard that the war was coming, and he told. This is what we kind of patched together from little stories that my grandmother had told me, and and a few things that my grandfather had told my mum. That he'd told his family that the war was coming, and that they should sell all of their liquid assets. And, uh, and convert them to diamonds and bury them in a certain spot in their property. And all we knew growing up was that the war happened, the war ended, my grandfather got the diamonds <laughs> and that's how they got to Australia and that was kind of the story, you know. Right, and yeah. then when my grandfather passed away in a long time ago in Vienna, um, I was a little girl, I was about 11, okay. and my mum took this opportunity to actually take my brother and I to live in Vienna in his apartment. And he lived in the first district, so right in the centre of Vienna, like just coming from, you know, Sydney, Australia to land in Vienna back when I was 11. It was just such a cultural shock of amazingness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and it was when we lived there that, well, side note, but when I definitely um, started to get a thirst for design and fashion and art and, and all things beautiful. Mm. Um, but we also started to discover my grandfather's story. I don't know how much time you have. But oh, uh, I'm really curious about mm. it because you've obviously chosen that particular blazer for a reason, you know, when I've asked you. Yeah. And I feel – and I, I, I do want – I'm really curious okay. about well, it. Well, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of tie it in with identity, I think. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> Because <laughs> ultimately that's what it is. You know, you choose a label, you choose a jacket to kind of identify you in a certain way. Well, my grandfather identified as a Catholic and died a Catholic and he, when we were in Vienna, we discovered um, all of these papers written to, his name was Heinrich, uh, Heinrich Malinowski, and we found all these papers written to Heinrich Freiberger. And we're like, who's Heinrich Freiberger? He was Jewish, he was born Jewish um, and then... When the war began, he um, basically the Russian army took uh, killed thousands of of um, 
he was a Polish officer mm. and the Russians killed, I think, 20,000 Polish officers. But because he was a surgeon, they kept him. And they said, but only if you, you know, sign away all of your Polishness and your Jewishness. And he's like, okay, aye, aye, um, Soviets. And, you know, yes, comrade. And that's when he kind of changed his identity completely. Wow. And so we didn't know about this until he was dead. And he actually had a family um, before us. And we didn't know about that. He died with that secret. You know, my father still doesn't know about that. We've never told him because we, his son, because we think it would hurt him too much. Right. There's just so much trauma there. And I think um, to bring that back to identity, I just find it so amazing that he had all of these kind of sleek, polished clothes and he took, he took his... Um, his outward appearance so seriously he was so immaculately dressed always and yet you know what he'd been through was it was just sheer survival yeah and you just wouldn't know it he just looked like this little polish gentleman you know and uh yeah so i do wear his clothes like i said i choose to wear his rather than my grandmother's she was also five foot two and I'm five foot eleven, so it doesn't work. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe I could borrow her clothes. <laughs> yeah, maybe, it'd be perfect for you. Um, but yeah, so that's, you know, his identity is a huge part of my identity. And um, yeah, it is just so sad that he had to hide that and say goodbye to it. So mm. he was in Vienna when he passed away. Yes, but yes. you grew up, and you're obviously only little, but you grew up with him in... Australia a around or yes so we had this modernist house in Wallara mm. um, that he built with his diamonds yes <laughs> <laughs> um, it all sounds very grand but yeah he um, look it took them about 10 years after the war to they went they moved they were back in Poland for 10 years and he mm. kept on begging the Russians to let them out of of um of the Soviet and eventually they got out so they went to Vienna for two years before they were accepted into Australia. Right. So that's the Vienna link and um, so I think as you know so many people who move to Australia they're they're moving from grief or conflict you know there's you you're moving to the other side of the world for a reason right yeah once you dig a little deeper and uh, so I think like so many people who move here he built his dream home and it was just kind of like his clothes it was clean and stark with you know like it's pure modernism you can't Mm. have a piece of dust lying on the floor (laughs) and I think I guess he didn't he there were skeletons in his closet and I think that it all but it's almost like he kind of was erasing Erasing it because obviously like the the kind of migrant story in terms of decor is generally (laughs) quite gaudy and over the top there's a symbol of how they've made it you know like they've escaped something and they're they're putting their yes they've left their history behind but they're trying to rebuild it in a very distinct way yes. so it's almost like he wiped the slate clean I and and presenting just a very crisp image he wiped the slate clean the image was crisp however there certainly was an element of <laughs> i've made it you've talked about the tragedy of mm. it that kind of comes out the dark kind of tragedy deep kind of mournful parts of your photography mm. um as a derivative of your kind of migrant upbringing. Mm. There's a lot of talk at the moment about intergenerational um, trauma Mm. um, and and tragedy. Do you feel that 
influence in terms of mm. a fight for standing up for who you are or just pride in where you come from? How does that translate in his story for oh, you? Most definitely in a, on a daily basis. I think um, I feel like my life is – I kind of frame my life as in spite of <laughs> those tragedies, you know, and I think – Growing up, uh, you know, my dad in particular um, had a really traumatic childhood. He was born on a hospital train um, between uh, Poland and Siberia with just dead and dying bodies everywhere. And, you know, it was really horrific for him. And he's wiped most of it out. Right. Um, But there's, there's, there's layers in there, right? And so, you know, my childhood was therefore also not great elements of it and uh, so yeah I think from a very very young age I was always the peacemaker I was always trying to find the light in things I was always trying to show people that everything's going to be okay and you know I guess at school I probably covered up my pain with humor Uh, you know I yeah I think like I said it's kind of in spite of all of that I I think the world you know, of course, is very beautiful. But I do have a penchant <laughs> for the darkness. Yeah. Like I – it's not hard for me to find that. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Like I'm not saying, you know, like sure, I went through my goth stage but we can talk about that <laughs> later. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that there – I think we all have pain, you know, and I think the beauty of a human is how you deal with that pain, yeah. you know, and – the people who I treasure the most in my life and the ones that I connect with the most quite often and it's not intentional but it really is people I find who have gone through some pain or trauma and and you can see that they it's made them stronger it's made them kinder and it's made them try and seek better things you know I, I think when you can um appreciate and understand your grief and trauma it makes you a richer human being to other people um and i think that's maybe why we've kind of connected because i find the same i'm definitely attracted to people that have a story um but but have been able to reconcile it yeah um first step yeah yeah (laughs) exactly because i mean you all all are going to necessarily Mm. experience some level of grief because we're all human Mm. um but yeah it's just the way that we kind of channel that uh and if we can understand it appreciate it and then just have more empathy for the people around us that's uh, exactly right because, yeah, pain does very easily just transfer to more pain, mm. you know. And it's well, that's what you're, you've obviously experienced mm. between your grandfather, your father yeah, and a, yourself. Exactly, and it's about breaking that cycle and I think you can see that genetically or, you know, family trauma, absolutely, and mm. it is my intention to just stop it at this generation. Yes, yep. Um, that's my intention and I think I'm doing an okay job <laughs> so far, I'm trying. <laughs> Um, but I think it also, yeah, transfers into friendships and, you know, just interactions with people. Like sometimes I'll <laughs> I'll um, just – it's like an experimental thing but I'll walk around the street and just smile at people. Yeah. And, yeah, it's – some some people it confounds them. They, yeah. they Their face crumbles and they don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, but other people it just – it breaks them out of that – 
you know, cycle that they were in and it can literally just change. And it happens to me. People smile at me and it changes my day. Yeah. You know, it's just these tiny little acts that I think can make – I'm not saying it will change the world – but, yeah, I just, just think that if we... Shift the energy for the day, you know? Yeah, it's tiny little things, <laughs> exactly. So in terms of um, your grandfather's influence on your style, obviously, like, we were talking while we were styling you today, there's, there's like, a crisp masculinity to the way that you dress. Mm. And obviously you've clearly attributed that to him, mm. but he's been this kind of presence that, you know, you've only discovered the story later, um, but you're still kind of imbued all this inspiration from him, is it – in trying to understand why you chose him, yeah. is it because he um, was able to set up a, a good life for you here? Is it because the romance of your childhood being in Vienna, that like the difference and the creative offering that gave you um, – allowed you to put him on a pedestal what what do you think yeah well I mean firstly he had great taste and <laughs> he bought really expensive labels that I could never afford yeah <laughs> um but yeah there's definitely the heritage value of it I yeah I, I think um in I think you know you, you hit the masculinity thing mm. I think that's quite an interesting one for me um, and I'm sure, you know, many women. Um, I used to, you know, as a little girl, I was very feminine. Right. Wore pink, 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 like layers of pink, right? Yeah. And do, you, do you have a, like a first memory of something that you were particularly attached to? Uh, pink curtains actually. <laughs> um, well, I remember I wanted to get these bright fluoro pink like bike pants and my mum just refused yeah she's like I will never buy those for you and she also I will never buy you thongs right she said and you know I, I don't like thongs as a result it's so funny um and I won't buy my kids thongs as well by the way right that passes through generation after generation <laughs> the, the intergenerational <laughs> stuff coming the thong <laughs> trauma um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think the masculinity thing is an interesting one. I was very feminine as a little girl. Yeah. Um, but I had a big brother. I still do have a big brother, Justin. Yeah. And um, I really just wanted to be him. Right. So I think that plays a huge part in what I wear as well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, for Christmas one year, for another fashion memory, <laughs> when I turned six, um, you know, I got this beautiful kind of Madonna-esque La like multi-layered tutu mm. down to the floor with like a Madonna lace um what do you like a what do you bodice. call it bodice not yeah. a, no not a bodice I was six <laughs> come on uh, like a little bodysuit yeah kind of see-through yeah. and yeah, yeah. very kind of early 90s vibes yeah but then I also got a balaclava. <laughs> so there's photos of me, like, you know, in this gorgeous little ballet outfit with a balaclava on. It was yeah. like Pussy Riot 10 years earlier. Yeah, right. Um, so I, was, I think I was. That's where the dark side starts to creep yeah. in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think that's when I was starting to yeah, find that, like, how do I find this balance between feminine and masculine? Yeah. <laughs> um, which is why I've gone quite neutral now. I finally worked it out. Yeah. But yeah, and then I think as a teenager, I, um, you know, started to develop and I uh, – honestly, I just – the way that men treated me, I was very tall, skinny, blonde, mm. gorgeous little girl, but then suddenly I got boobs, you know, and just the way men treated me, it just switched overnight. Right. And I was still 12 and they were like, you know – 
fathers, like inappropriate people, just men on the street, just the way they looked at me, I felt so ashamed. Mm. And I couldn't control my body and I couldn't control the way they reacted to me. Yeah. And I think then I started to really cover it up, you know. Right. Um, Yeah, and that I think that has had a huge influence on me and I think that if I had to to get all deep after many years of therapy, if I had a stronger father role, I probably would have felt safer about that reaction, Yeah, you know, but because I didn't have a strong male role, I... I just pushed against it and basically denied my femininity. So I'm going to get all kind of psychological here. But it's, it, if I'm putting the pieces together, yeah. like what I want to say or, or kind of um, speculate about mm. is you, you've kind of chosen masculinity because it covered you mm. away from like that kind of a gaze that felt um, uncomfortable. Mm. But you haven't chosen the male figure that you didn't feel um, safe with and you've gone to the one that you could put on a pedestal. Mm. Oh, you're good. <laughs> you're very good. <laughs> Is that – do you yeah. think that that's fair or uh, – Oh, I, I I put my brother on a pedestal and I still do mm. and, and definitely my you, grandfather. You've also yeah. said in another interview mm. there's a word that you've used which oh. I had to look up. So, yeah, yeah, you're very clever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know that I can pronounce it but I looked up the meaning of it and it means – um, you were talking about the, your mum and your brother are your sources of inspiration. Yes. Um, and the, it's a word that means like that it's a Roman derivative. Triumvirate. Yes, that word. <laughs> yes. Classic word. <laughs> the power of three. Yeah. yeah. We, we established that when we were in Vienna actually. Right. Yeah. So, I, look, I did have a fractious relationship with my father. So, your mum kind of brought you guys up? Is that, oh, yeah. My yeah. mum was, you know, an angel and just such a strong woman. Um yeah, it's it's yeah, it's funny. I think she was very very beautiful herself, stunning. Mm. And I guess I just decided to just instead of emulating her, it's it's funny that I didn't just try and replicate her. I have later in life, like mm. I do I realize we wear very similar clothes now, but yeah, I didn't go back to like what she wore in the 70s and 80s and copy that. Like I really did go to the more masculine stuff, but yeah, yeah I think that's um Mm, it's deep and long, that, <laughs> that side of it. <laughs> but, yeah, you're very good. <laughs> so mm. going into your teenage years, you yeah. said you, you kind of mentioned being a goth and you, did you, you <laughs> did you move around a bit? Like when did you come back from Vienna and did you change schools? Changed schools quite a lot. A lot. Yeah, yeah, what was all of that about? Oh, was that it's you? all about my dad again. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah look, he, he was – yeah, it's very sad. He, he – had a lot of issues and they were never resolved, sadly, mm. you know. And unfortunately it kind of played out on my brother and my childhood, which, <clears throat> you know, is not is very unfortunate and not fair, but that's the way it is. So I did change schools a lot. Yeah. Um, and I kind of learnt to become <coughs> – excuse me – I, I learnt to become a bit of a chameleon, I guess, you know, because I was switching schools that were quite different. Like I went mm. from like private school to a selective school to, you know, quite a rough high school and I had to fit into all of these different places. And I think that also played into me just starting to wear quite neutral clothes so yep. that I could just blend between wherever I am. Changing schools all the time was the worst thing ever and – 
<clears throat> you know, it broke me. But it, thankfully, I am quite resilient, mm. and maybe through all of that, I had to become resilient. And um, yeah, it kind of just helped me grow. You obviously had a few kind of starts to your career. You <laughs> you did a bachelor of law for like a year, yeah. and um, you, you've done your <laughs> research. <laughs> you've done an architecture degree yes, yes. but you landed in photography quite quickly after that is that correct yeah I dove right in yeah I, so how did you get from well <laughs> through um rejection really I did I did my undergraduate architecture degree um and I I did I didn't necessarily want to be an architect however I wanted I knew that I wanted to do a practical art. Yeah. You know, I wanted to do some form of design of some sort, but I knew that I wasn't a painter or a sculptor. And it's funny, like I hadn't thought, oh, I can, I should just be a photographer because my brother was a photographer. My father was a hobbyist photographer, but, right. you know, like had a lab at some point. And, you know, we were kind of we were brought up with photography all around us. Um, but no, I was like, oh yeah, I'll study architecture. What a great idea! So well, it was, it was actually, it was an amazing degree. It was so intense. I just thought, you know what? If I can start with the granddaddy of design, then I can move into whatever I want after that. And um, so I basically went to maybe three or four job interviews because after you do the undergraduate you have to do a year of basically nearly unpaid labour right. <laughs> in a firm, and then you yeah. go back to do a two-year grad degree. No one would hire me. And and then I had – there were other kids in my year who, you know, were no better than me or they, they were just kind of quieter and would, would just sit and, I guess, probably do their work <laughs> more efficiently <laughs> than me. Because, I, I, you know, I haven't changed since I was 12. I probably won't be different when I'm 80. So I rocked up there at the age of 21 and sat down in front of these four generally male architects and looked at them eye to eye and spoke to them as an equal, which was probably my first mistake. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, none of them would hire me. And I just was like, this isn't feeling good. Mm. Um, I, I can't – I've just, like, slogged it for three years – and I must admit, I wasn't used to rejection. Like normally, for me, you work hard, you get what you want. Yeah, you know. Um, well, you've got you're you're a smart woman. You know, you obviously have the goods behind you to back it up too. I'm a hard worker. Yeah, I don't think I'm that smart. I just <laughs> I'm bloody I'm I'm such a hard worker. Yeah. Um. So I yeah. Then my brother was was a photographer, and right. he he ran a kind of a photo studio. Which did a little bit of design as well, because he's he's basically a Renaissance man. He can do uh, he's the smart guy. Okay, <laughs> um, so I was like, hey, Big Brother Justin, yeah, can I like work with you and I'll work with you for a year and don't pay me much, and then let's just pretend your studio is more of a design studio, and then I'll go back and do my masters after that. Yeah, and he's like. Yeah, sure. Cheap labour. Let's do that. <laughs> was um, he always looking after you? Yeah. Like you taking yeah, him the thing. triumvirate. Yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and within a few days of watching him, I was just like, what? This yeah. is a job. This yeah. is the best. And like we were literally photographing tables on a cyclorama, but I still thought it was the coolest thing ever because <laughs> um, he did a lot of design stuff actually. Right. And, yeah, anyway, uh, very quickly I just got obsessed. I'd always loved photography and done it but never thought of it career-wise. And, uh, yeah, he threw me in the deep end. Like Justin's 
he has very, very high expectations of himself and of everyone around him. And so I think he really threw me into it. Yeah. And But that was the best way to learn. So very quickly I was shooting on my own. You know, I, I assisted him for a while but he really just – he trusted me. Yeah. And, um, and I worked very hard and, you know, of course I made mistakes and they were brutal. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, you have to make mistakes and if you learn from them, then you're okay. Yeah. And uh, then he uh, he started another business and I actually took over his business. And okay. so that was – like I think I was only 22 or 23 and maybe that's when I really started to wear my grandfather's blazers <laughs> when I – you know, there was a bit of an imposter syndrome and I think I had to – kind of look a little bit more sophisticated than well, what I was. Well, because you weren't just a photographer, you were running a business yeah, as well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. And then um, it just went from there. I also, um, at the exact same time, started dating my then boyfriend, now husband. Daniel and I started dating when I started shooting, but he also started shooting at the same time. Right. So he'd been a graphic designer or a web developer at UTS. And so our early part of our relationship was a court the courtship was actually about who could take the better photograph right. who could get the better client who could light better like it, it's always been a very competitive relationship <laughs> yes uh still is today yeah <laughs> um but i think the the combination of i was just very lucky like i had my brother helped me out massively like that was an incredible opportunity but then i think the the daniel and i kind of one-upping each other at the beginning there really helped both of us and I don't think either of us would be photographers now if we hadn't have kind of started dating at that time. Yeah. We really pushed each other. So Daniel's actually said about your work that it's kind of um, bright, colourful and a bit sexy <laughs> and that <laughs> um, I think he was just talking about me. <laughs> yeah, but, well, I was just wondering whether, you know, given – everything we've talked about in the way that you choose to dress, that it, mm. it's more streamlined, mm. more masculine and more neutral. Yeah. Um, is this a, a different energy that you 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 attribute to your work rather than on Very your person? interesting. It's uh, – I think it ties back with what we were talking about before when I was like – when I was a child, I was the peacemaker and I was always trying to find the light, you yes. know. And when I was at school, I was – you know, always trying to make jokes and I guess at times perhaps one could say the class clown, you know. Mm. I, I've, I'm always trying to, although I recognise, I see pain and I can see darkness and, you know, the, there there is a lot of pain around. I guess I do try and substitute that <laughs> with, yeah, perhaps with brightness and colours, you know. I mean, I maybe it's that joy that, you know, that, that, that smile down the street that you're yeah. offering to your, to your work. Yeah. But like something that's just um, – it's not superficially happy. It's still – you're still pulling on oh, the light I mean, and dark oh. to give your work meaning. Totally. I, you can see in a photo when it's fake. I, maybe I am trying to offset some of the – the pain and the, the the shit that we have to go through um, by by finding the happiness and the the beauty around us. Yeah. yeah. Um. So your series model maison. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's a it's just so the audience understands. It's mm. a, a photography series which aims to. You, you correct me if I'm wrong, but aims to kind of show a model in her own home mm. um, as a means of taking away some of the kind of 
pure fantasy that normally surrounds them in the images that they participate in. Mm. Um, what I was going to ask you was why that was important to you. Do you think that yeah. that is a function of the way you were seen as a teenager? You know, you want to show these girls as something more than just beautiful um, yeah. and not be appropriated in a different way? I think, yeah, an anti-appropriation is definitely a key driver. I think honesty is is huge. I guess you could call it documentary fashion. Yeah. In a way. Um, where I was trying to find this bridge between the reality and the fantasy. Yeah. Because I think, you know, let's be honest, like all, even our realities that we create are still fantasies. Like even just the way you style your house is... Oh. It's still based on a fantasy. Yeah. Um, or, or an image we want to project. But That's right. Look at your grandfather's place, right? Yes, yeah. perfect example. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, for me, Model Maison, and it's had some different iterations since then. So I, I originally started shooting models in their homes. Um, it was just another way I really wanted to connect with the models and mm. kind of visually hear their stories. Yeah. And it was just a really intimate kind of honest expression. And, and I often I often did it – I used to travel a lot and I worked between here and America and a lot. And so it, it was also just easier just to have me and the model work together and, you know, I'd, I'd get a makeup artist in and that was often it. I mean, you know, if it was for a magazine, I'd get stylists on board and everything else. Right, but okay. Otherwise, yeah. it could be as kind of big or as little as you wanted and sometimes it was these, these littlest shoots that ended up being far more authentic and genuine and then – the models, you know, had this opportunity to also input creatively, which they rarely do. But yeah. if you think about it, a model is sitting on a shoot, like they're, they're absorbing what's going on. It's really interesting to kind of have their perspective on uh, not how to shoot, but how they should be shot. It's like Model Maison was originally about them in their homes. Then it became Model Maison Undone, which was about the their external selves and now it's model mace on me and I'm almost trying to go inwards whenever you're talking about like any inward looking is where we're always reflecting upon ourselves yeah you know we can't help that but uh yeah I guess I'm trying to go even more kind of philosophical and psychological about it and the idea is I'm asking them kind of quite intimate questions about who about their identity and kind of like what you're talking about like why are you wearing this jacket why yeah. why is your grandfather's identity so important you know I think yeah. we're both you and I are both trying to find the same answers in different ways um let's go start talking about agenda yes um so agenda isn't a female network of photographers you've yes. put together to support each other yes. um, through an industry that is still quite male-dominated. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, this all comes back to, like, your whole story of sticking up for what you believe in mm. but also um, being a person that wants to kind of look after each other people, please them and, mm. and support them, which is amazing in such a competitive industry. Yeah. Uh, what I want to know from you, uh, going back to that first point of you being a, a teenager, mm. th there's this sense of a, a male gaze, correct? Yep. Um, and correct. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a sense of a male gaze, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I... I'm sure it baffles you too yeah. that an industry that is um, 
catering to women and women's lifestyle is still very dominated by male photographers. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's because um, of history or do you think it's this sense of a male gaze being put onto a woman Mm -hmm. that we're attracted to as an audience? And how do you think you guys are going to shift that? Things have changed dramatically in the last few years. It's incredible. From Mm. when we started Agenda, it's – the shift is happening and it's huge, you know. Like so many of the big, big jobs are being shot by women, particularly in the advertising industry. Right. I've noticed in the fashion industry not quite as much. Like we've just come through International Women's Day again. I remember when I first started Agenda, I – my spiel on the on the International Women's Day was, you know, a year ago on International Women's Day, I opened up a magazine which was celebrating women and every single page was a gorgeous woman shot by a man, the cover was shot by a man and I was outraged. Let's change this, everyone. Let's rally the troops. We can do this. That was, I think, uh, four or five years ago. Guess what? <laughs> there were five Australian magazines that brought out their March issues around... ...not specifically mentioning International Women's Day. Some of them did. The cover was still shot by a man... Mm. ...and the majority of the shoots were still shot by men. I've seen so many photographers, like, assistants come through. I've been shooting for, you know, well over 10, 15 years. And I, I think that there is just... ...opportunity comes more easily... ...has come more easily to... The men and the women, and and I've had people with agenda. We've actually gone in and spoken to different agencies and different people who actually book jobs, mm. and we've had very candid and frank conversations with them, and they have literally said, we feel that there is more risk in hiring a, f- a female photographer, right. and and and, if, and we've said, but why? And they're like, oh well, not really us, but our clients might. So it's this presumption. You know, there's all this... So, it's nothing... That's the point. It's nothing founded on the actual quality of the work. If if it was about the quality of workmanship, Mm. you'd hire a woman. Do you Mm. know why? Because a woman has had to work so much harder to get to where she got to. She has had so many people second-guessing her work. Mm. You'd hire a woman. Yeah. You cannot make a mistake as a woman. We started off this conversation about, you know, the effects of intergenerational style and intergenerational um, kind of stories and how they affect us. Uh, in terms of your beautiful girls, Lilia and Lucette, what, um, what kind of style attributes or the parts of who you are yeah. do you want to be their legacy? <sighs> yes, my greatest work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think... I want them to have, and they certainly do, have uh, this sensitivity. You know, I think with sensitivity comes creativity and, you know, intelligence and emotional intelligence. Mm. I think that's really important, but certainly not a hypersensitivity and that's what I'm trying so hard to work on. I think, um, you know, I am lucky, I am resilient Mm. and I want them to be resilient, but... And I don't know whether this is possible, but I'm like... Can they be resilient without having gone through all the shit, you know? Or do you have to go through the shit to become resilient? 
So I guess that's what we'll find out because they're still very young. But, you know, I, I, my heart breaks um, when you, you, start, you start to see these aspects of life filter through. I, for me, I found that me being thrown in the deep end in many situations in life was the best thing for me. Yeah. But I think that my – at least my eldest is quite different. And I don't think that would work for her. I think she needs swimming lessons first. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I'm just being protective. But, but you're hoping that what they get from you is your strength. In a nutshell, yes. Yeah. I hope they get my balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the really good jacket. <laughs> oh, well, I tell you what, my Lilia is a bit of a style queen herself yeah. already. Yeah. Lulu's working on it. Um, oh, no, Lilia dresses me up sometimes when I go out and she's – does a bloody good job. You've got to have a great palette to start with. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, she's already really getting into fashion. And, um, you know, I've done a few fiti- uh, fashion shoots with them. I did one for like Rock Your Baby and one oh. for Infamous Swim. And I saw. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it was, it was like, oh, am I being a stage mom? <laughs> you know, but she actually loves it. And I think that's a really good example of something that, you know, you could see putting, putting a kid in a fashion shoot as you're firstly you're exploiting them <laughs> um but secondly you know you're focusing on looks like is that negative are you putting the, the you know you, you should be focusing on the inside rather than the outside i'm sure many people would argue but the fact that i'm shooting it for starters mm. it's you know we have a great time doing it um but it's actually giving her a sense of self um which is is unique to her you know none of mm. her other friends have photographer mums who do that, you know, and she's really proud of it. Mm. So last question, Sabelle, um, which is w- how I end all my interviews. Mm-hmm. Moving forward when you're old and grey, um, how do you see yourself and how you dress? Will you still be in your, um, you know, your boxy men's blazers and, and sneakers? I'd say so. <laughs> timeless, timeless pieces. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm going to, you know, suddenly start wearing moo-moos or... <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, isn't it a thing that you basically, as you age, you kind of wear what was in fashion when you were middle-aged? Right. Is that a thing? I, I actually like, don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that. beige was really big in the 50s or 60s, which is why all old people <laughs> wear beige now. No, I don't know. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I think the great thing is... Being a photographer, it's all about comfort. You know, some all wearing already wearing moon boots. You yeah, know? like, uh, yeah. The only thing that might change is I'll wear kind of more stretchy pants. <laughs> um, but no, I want to be fabulous. Like, I want to age gracefully, but beautifully. You yeah, know? I will be getting my hair done every week. I, I, I love those ladies who – and I go up to them in the street and it was one of my greatest joys is to, to compliment – you know when the, you can just tell that they've spent hours <laughs> doling themselves up to go set. and buy some milk or whatever it is. Like I want to be one of those ladies. Yeah. You know, no, I will never let go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today Thank and you sharing your story. Thank you so much. Sabelle has an ability to use dark places to harness an image, gently add exposure and provide joy in bringing a picture to light. This is true for her work, her style and her story. While her popper doctor may have used clean, modernist styles as a symbol of wiping a slate clean, 
Sibel has not allowed the pain of her past to define her. Instead, it's her ability to appreciate, reconcile and recover that has paved her meaningful path and it's this celebration of her story that brings strength to Sibel and shines a light on her straight shooting, sharp shaped style. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed hearing this style story, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast and give it a rating to help other like-minded listeners find these stylish stories.